This episode of Exploring AI and Oncology from Oncology Data Advisor is sponsored by Foundation LMS. Foundation LMS is a state-of-the-art learning management system that can help you deliver engaging online activities that adhere to the latest accreditation standards. Foundation LMS is purpose-built for the continuing education industry, empowering you to deliver world-class education while ensuring compliance with accrediting bodies such as the ACCME, ANCC, and ACPE. Captivate your learners with highly personalized and engaging educational activities. Leverage our intuitive course authoring tools to build interactive content. Stay in control of your learner's progress with our robust tracking and reporting features. Customize certificates with your own branding, automate outcomes data reporting, and enjoy exceptional customer support 24-7. Visit foundationlms.com to learn more and try Foundation LMS for 30 days risk-free. everybody. I'm Wakas. I'm a third year in terms of resident at NYU and a clinical investigator track and starting oncology fellowship at U Chicago this upcoming summer. I'm excited to bring you our next episode of the Oncology Advisor podcast. Uh, this week we'll be having a feature uh, from uh, from Leigh Panda, uh, who's a chief innovation officer at TriMedis, uh, which is uh, a company dedicated to automating the workflow and process through AI for uh, different pathology services. I'm uh, really excited to talk to you today, Leigh. Uh, if you don't mind, just give us a short introduction about yourself and maybe just tell us a little bit about what TriMedis does and um, just the reasons for why it got started and how it's improving biobank. Yeah, thank you, Wakas. Uh, again, my name is Leif Honda, and I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at TriMedis. We essentially have been in the business of uh, handling specimens for research for over 20 years. And through that process, we have improved how we do things by the use of leveraging technology. And those technologies include artificial intelligence, uh, workflow automation, and robotics. And so we are investing heavily in this space in order to really ultimately make life easier for clinicians and researchers. Um, uh, behind all that is to try to accelerate the, the validation and uh, approval of tools that clinicians can actually use on a daily basis. Um, and I can go into that a little bit uh, later. Awesome, thanks for sharing that. I also read that you have an economics background. I majored in economics myself, so glad to see uh, someone with a similar uh, sort of sort of training in mind. Um, so I want to sort of talk a little bit about the TriMedis Computer Assisted Pathology Platform uh, that's that's been developed. Uh, you know, I attended the um, Oncology and Precision Medicine AR seminar last month, and one that they talked about in terms of bioethics, like a lot of the training data for AI companies comes from three different states, you know, Massachusetts, California, and New York, a lot of the biotech innovations happening. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, how, how TCAP is trained, who trained it, um, and sort of what it encompasses. Yeah, so TCAP uh, came from a place where uh, essentially we, we in research needed more detail on what was in the tumor tissues that we were using for research. So it wasn't just a cursory overview of what the pathology and the diagnosis was, but it was actually the morphology and the information contained in the tissue. And that was telling us more about whether those tissues were usable or not for certain studies. And we would screen and fail lots of tissues trying to find explicitly these perfect cohorts of patient uh, data and and tissues in order to 
do discovery of novel biomarkers, therapeutic targets, um, and really landmarks and things that could tell us something about the disease state and, and the change in disease state. Um, that was a very difficult thing to do. And at the time we decided that, you know, computers are better than the human eye at looking at some of these things. The human eye is designed to do certain things and receive certain inputs, but it isn't exactly great at counting, uh, especially at the level that we needed for research where everything was, you know, tell me if there's 200 cells in this tissue. Well, to count 200 cells actually takes longer than, than is really, uh, uh, you know, desired uh, for, from a pathology perspective. It's also one of those things where things, they tend to just guesstimate. And so they're looking at surface area by surface area, what cells are there and, and are there 100 or the 200? And they say, well, roughly there's 200. And what we found was that 40% to 60% uh, of the time, uh, pathologists were uh, off on their count. <laughs> and so that revealed to us like, hey, we need to do something that really uh, is able to count these things fast. And it's really on the the, the low end of, of a doctor's um, uh, training and, 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 you know, they don't go to school for 14 years to count cells, right, uh, in many respects. And so we found that they had no problem getting rid of that relationship and saying, yeah, you tell me how many you see in here and I'll tell you if you're right. And so our system is designed really as a, uh, uh, to allow, you know, give answers and then let the clinician say, yes, I see that, that is correct. And I'm willing to adopt that or they can adjust it and say, it's a little bit more or less and it missed this or that. But generally speaking, you know, in order to look at a whole a slide, which isn't a very big piece of, piece of material, technically speaking, could take hours just to count cells. So <clears throat> we've automated that whole thing. And at the same time, you know, the machine learning has become so sophisticated and so fast and, and it's heading for quantum computing where these results can be very efficient and therefore, you know, uh, clinicians can see patients much faster and uh, produce results and get through the, the workload that is actually, you know, <clears throat> quite extraordinary at this point where we have only a few doctors such as yourself, people studying hematology and other uh, oncology where just not enough doctors in the world to support the number of patients out there. So um, we're readily looking at how we can speed up that process for, for people in the, in the field. Yeah, it's really good to hear. It sounds like you guys have had a lot of success over the past years. Um, so kudos, kudos to you all and your team. Uh, you know, I think one concern that some people will have is sort of the idea of like self-governing AI versus non-self-governing AI. So sometimes when you keep adding more data to your system, um, you have to wonder, you know, is it still validated? Is it still going to work uh, in your population? So I know, obviously, we're not dealing with you know, actual the clinical side, of it, but um, just from a pathology side, what's sort of um, the role of, you know, self-governing AI? When we decided to use AI, we, we decided, you know, we have experience with diagnostics and therapeutics in that whole process of getting through the FDA. And <clears throat> for the most part, you know, we knew very well that we would be training sets of data, but then there would be, in order to get something through, you also have to have confounding data. You have to have different cohorts that, you know, challenge the AI and say, is this actually what you're seeing? And so what we did is we hired a number of pathologists to train this. And in this case, we chose VisioPharm because they had 20 years in the industry of allowing people to train AI in pathology. And we started to train and then we 
introduced a cohort of like, let's say a hundred in a certain indication. These were pristine samples, sam samples that we knew were good, that we knew the diagnosis was good, maybe twice and three times checked by pathologists, and that they were able to train them. <clears throat> and what we found is that, you know, it's iterative design, right? <clears throat> you let it train, and then you challenge it with new information. You let that set get bigger and bigger, <clears throat> and then you introduce things that are confounding, like diseases that may be close to this, to, to lung cancer, for example, and non-small cell, but aren't. And therefore, you know, can it identify these cells within that situation? And so you're constantly training it and you're making larger and larger sets. And then the AI goes in and you start to ask the prompts and say, what do you see? What does AI see? And in this case, you know, you can find uh, areas and regions where we don't know what we see here. We got to identify, re-identify that. We got to dig in deeper. Oh, maybe we need to add some uh, some other tissues that are a little more difficult. For example, a fine needle aspirate is more of a slurry and it has cells in it that are from the actual methodology of, of acquiring the sample. And so what you want to do is start to train with those types of things. And then you get into game theory, which is really where you start to challenge it and force it to learn on its own a little bit. At, the, at that point, once its performance shows that it's statistically valid, then you have to validate it with tissue sets that are blinded, essentially. You give them to doctors, they have a read on it, then they put in their number, and then we show them what ours is, and essentially you start to have a correspondence between the numbers and say, yes, this performance is getting tighter and tighter. And we try to push that up to 98%, 100%, which is well above what is used, you know, generally speaking, with the naked eye. And so, you know, it's a lot of learning. Then there's the point where you have to cut it off and you have to say, we're not going to use AI at this point. <clears throat> and the governance and responsibility that we have ethically and legally is that it has to perform within this certain parameters consistently every time. And although we're working in research and it isn't yet a clinical application, in order for it to get to a clinical application, it has to prove itself in the research. So <clears throat> we go through the discipline of validating these different data sets. Uh, challenging it, <clears throat> retraining it, training it again, and then we lock that down and then we produce what's an algorithm. And so look, it's not AI at that point anymore. It actually becomes an algorithm or an application as, as we call it. And then that is where a doctor, uh, a research doctor in this case can, you know, feel very confident that those cells that are being counted are truly those cells. And, you know, we have layers of pathologists training, but also layers of pathologists questioning these things. And we do for the most part, we do pilots with a lot of our clients so that they can understand, is this really yielding what it is? And what we found is that, generally speaking, it's almost 100% of what, what it says it is. But we're very focused initially on quality control and, and within the tumors themselves or the, the, the cells themselves. And we set a new standard by using cellularity that is based on tumor nuclei. And so no longer estimate of that's a tumor cell, that's not a tumor cell, it's is the nuclei, tumor nuclei. And so we're getting a layer of detail that um, we've never been able to achieve before. Thanks for sharing that, Leif. Um, and it sounds like you all are doing a lot of work in terms of making sure the cell is really a cell, getting a human pathologist uh, to validate uh, the data, you know, building you know larger data sets. Maybe sort of similar question, uh, but you know, last year the word of the year was hallucinations, where basically the AI is creating data that's non-existent or imperceptible to human perception. Um, do you have any other sort of thoughts uh, or or ideas on how we can you know, kind of prevent that uh, within pathology? 
Yeah, I think for the most part, it is that is is it's in the process of bringing it into a giant data lake where you have so many different images that are from different indications, and making sure that you know you're training on these different sets so that you're not entering, you're not allowing it to ha hallucinate essentially in any in any case. Um, and then being able to narrow it back down. I think that's in essence what has to happen. Um, I know people think of AI and that it's thinking for itself and it has a conscience and all of a sudden it's going to take off and we're going to have uh, the Terminator situation. It's it's really, we're way far away from that right now. Um, but it does come down to, is it good science? You know, are we using methodologies and are we looking at rough curves and we're looking at things that tell us explicitly what we see is what, what is truly in those tissues. And um, what we found is that removes hallucinations. And in this case, we're taking a very small view of the world too. And we're not taking on everything. We're not trying to say, throw an image up there. <clears throat> I'll identify it for you. I'll tell you if it's, if it's uh, uh, liver cancer or breast cancer. And then I'll tell you if it's um, <clears throat> this type of diagnosis and what stage it is and that kind of thing. We have to take baby steps right now. We're not really ready for prime time with that type of thing. And the data lake itself is is somewhat imbalanced. You know, it's based on the procedures you can get access to. And so, you know, getting heme patients, you know, there's what, 40,000 new patients a year in hematology. It sounds like it's a lot, but it's actually not that many, uh, thankfully. At the same time, you have to have access to those tissues and you have to train on those. And uh, the way those access points happen throughout the world is different. And, uh, you know, so sometimes we have to go to locations where the care is not using neoadjuvant therapy or not having an intervention early on those tissues that could wipe out certain features and using things that are truly, you know, uh, ground truth, based in ground truth that is truly the morphology of those tissues. And so we have to do a lot to stay above board with all this. And th these are the things that we're constantly attentive to. And, um, you know, concerned about when it comes to hallucinations. We won't, what we can say right now is that we're not in the clinic and um, that's for good reason. You know, our objective is to speed up this whole process of getting into the clinic by using digital images and data and uh, larger data pools. Um, but we also very much control what we're going after in order to not let it get out of hand and have a lot of uh, misinformation being, you know, uh, delivered. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing those thoughts. And, uh, you know, I, I agree definitely far from the doomsday terminator situation. Um, you know, being a pathologist is, you know, obviously a complex job. It takes years of training, medical school, residency. Um, the way a pathologist reads the slide can be different from beginning to end. They typically tend to scan the image and make a sense of the architecture of the slide. And maybe they count the cells and look at the nuclear ATPI, things like that. And I was actually reading a paper last week that um, like the different parts of the reading that the pathologist does might be optimized for different kinds of machine learning models. So one might be CNN, might be, one might be SVM, right? There might be different models and different parts of the step from beginning to end. So maybe we kind of combine all those different things together. Uh, so my final question, just uh, what are your thoughts on, on how we can uh, you know, take what TriMedis is making, PCAP, some of this work pathology workflow, into the clinic, and what's the kind of best way of going about that in the in the next decade? Yeah, I mean, our, our objective is to move upstream. Like for the most part, a lot of the digital scanning is being done at the end of the process, and that is where the data is become fixed. Let's say, and what our objective is to get the scanning done right away, 
when it, whether it's a clinical trial and you've consented that patient and uh, as soon as it gets to pathology, we capture that image in order to start to understand and follow what's in that tissue. Because once the data diverges from that point, it's very hard to reconstitute it all. And so we want to move upstream. Um, we also want the utilities there to be upstream. At that point, we can scan, we can look at those and we can tell the uh, clinician, the, this tissue is predisposed to these biomarkers, for example. And we already have this in progress where we can say with reasonable statistical value that those biomarkers are present, then you should test for those as your as as knowns, knowns in that tissue. <clears throat> um, that is also the point where in research, if you know that this is going to have a ROS1 mutation or KRAS or whatever, whatever in there, <clears throat> not only you test for it, but get that information, but it also is the point where you can screen that patient because what happens in research and development is that um, the speed to which your study and your research goes is gated by the access to this information. So if you do it at the end, you essentially have to screen lots of samples, maybe rescreen lots of samples to tell you if those markers are in it. If you start way up ahead, then you know the presence of those markers, you can confirm those. And then now that allows you to do better research within the, the cancer indication. So you know, we're trying to move upstream and in the process, we think we can deliver data that's valuable to the clinician, to the pathologist, that's actionable, that they can then say, okay, let's test for this, or this has enough tumor in it based on nuclei that we know this genetic sequencing will work or genomic sequencing will work. That's very important too, because you don't want to get through the process and then, you know, appealing to the economic part of this whole thing is fail and say, well, I've spent $3,000 to test this, but it failed. Right. You want to know right away, does that tissue, is it viable? Can it can it yield some results that are important to me uh, as the person making the sh calling the shots? And so, you know, the earlier, the better. And in any case, uh, we think that the convergence of those images are going to happen. Now, the systems that are out there as far as scanners go are really gated towards this kind of old model of plugging in and scanning. We think that'll that'll change entirely where it will become automated, where it comes off the H&E. It's scanned right then and there, and those results are presented to the pathologist so they can read them and they can <clears throat> agree with them, report on them, and then move on in the process. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. I remember I was working in the hospital last month, and uh, we had to call hematology on, I think, Friday at 4 p.m., which is the worst time to call any consult, and uh, we had to get a slide confirmed um, just to see if someone had lymphoma or not. That, uh, I think the attending had to come personally and get uh, the actual you know, blood draw you run it over to a different hospital and then get it processed so that we get a read in 24 hours. But I think, I think all the work you're doing and all the work that's going on in AI you definitely speed things up. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, better, faster is better for sure. So uh, thanks for yeah. sharing those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're doing a lot of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can do better with the technology that's there. And this is technology that a lot of it intersects and it exists in other sectors. And what you see from Google and, and uh, Amazon and Microsoft is, and IBM is that they can do these things. It just hasn't been applied in this area uh, necessarily, but uh, remarkable things are being done in this space. And, you know, I think that it's complementary to everything doctors do. And hopefully it also takes some of the strain off the doctors of having to do things. You know, these things run 24 seven in the background. So once the image is captured, you may go home and rest and be with your family it's, those things can be teed up for you the next day. And you can have telepathology at work. You can have pathology, uh, you know, 
<clears throat> distributed globally so that you can get answers. And it's not 4 p.m. on a Friday Eastern time, but it's actually 1 p.m. Pacific time or what have you that that the person's reading it. And and now the bottlenecks kind of fade away and and our performance becomes better. And hopefully through this whole process, also the, the machine learning and the 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 information that's in these tissues allows us to actually understand more. And once we get into three-dimensional data, which is literally three dimensions of tissue, but also the fourth dimension being the actual data itself, I think pathology will change and morph and, and become more informed. And the pathologist will have more to say about these diseases and have hopefully better therapies, better utilities and better outcomes, right? So that's, that's where we're headed. Um, one foot in front of the other right now. I thanks so much, Leif, for your time and uh, congratulations and good luck with all the work you and uh, Tremetis are doing. Thank you and good luck with your endeavors. I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. Appreciate it.